It is good to be with you all on this second Sunday of Easter. Our passage for today comes from the book of Acts, one of our revised common lectionary readings for the second Sunday of Easter. One thing that I love about the author, Luke, is that he tends to report events as matter-of-factly, and in fact, tells us in the first chapter of Luke that after investigating everything carefully, he decided to write an orderly account of the events. Luke, the physician, generally focuses on the positive, which I appreciate. But oftentimes when I read Luke and Acts, there are tensions in the text that Luke does not explain. And that causes me to ask all kinds of questions. What were the people in the text experiencing? What were they thinking? How were they feeling? And how can you and I possibly relate to what's going on in the text? Perhaps you have some questions too. Our text this morning comes from the fifth chapter of Acts, verses 27 to 32. Here, Peter and the apostles have been preaching in the name of Jesus, and they have just been arrested. Listen for the word of the Lord. When they had brought the apostles, the authorities had them stand before the council. The high priest questioned them, saying, We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled with Jerusalem with your teaching, and you are determined to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than any human authority. The God of our ancestors raised up Jesus, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior, that he might give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this is an interesting text for the week following the resurrection. We had a wonderful celebration last Sunday, didn't we? Yes, we did. Do you love Easter as much as I do? I love the why of Easter, repentance and forgiveness of sins in the name of the risen one. But I also love the special music, sunrise services, full sanctuaries, Easter lilies, Easter dresses and suits, time with family, Easter dinner, and joyful energy, which makes one of the best Sundays of the year. The way we celebrate Easter is fitting, given that death has been defeated. The day of resurrection brings new life. Yet, for all the celebratory moments of Easter, we are missing something. On the Christian calendar, Easter isn't just a day. It's an entire season that stretches from Resurrection Sunday to Pentecost. These 50 days are meant for hope, celebration, and joy. Traditionally, during Eastertide, 
Our Sunday lectionary readings focus on the appearances of the risen Lord to his followers after the resurrection. However, today's lectionary passage from Acts chapter 5 comes after Pentecost. Now, we may wonder what this account of Peter and the apostles' arrest has to do with Easter, but in Luke's mind, everything that follows Easter is connected to their testimony regarding the resurrection of the Lord. In other words, the resurrection makes possible true generosity and bold living. The resurrection gives us new and abundant life. We are Easter people, and the book of Acts is all about the role of witnesses to spread the good news. In the first chapter of Acts, Luke points to the post-resurrection life with these words spoken by Jesus. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In our text for today, we find Peter and the apostles doing exactly what Jesus told them to do. They were in Jerusalem preaching the good news in the name of Jesus Christ. The new community was growing, and many who heard the word believed. The pericope for today is part of a larger story that unfolds in Acts chapter 5, verses 12 to 42. The apostles were preaching, teaching, and healing in Jerusalem, which led to their arrest. During the night, an angel of the Lord releases the apostles from jail, sending them back to the temple to continue proclaiming the good news. Ever faithful, they jump right back into preaching and are arrested again. This time, the apostles are brought before the high priest and Sanhedrin, the high court. In today's passage, we find the charges of the high priest against them and the apostles' bold response. So, just to be clear, the apostles preach the gospel, get thrown into jail, are miraculously released, and immediately get back to preaching the gospel. In the exact same place, their message seemed to fail the first time. Would you call that perseverance or insanity? I'm feeling the tension. How about you? As I grappled with the text, I wondered what was going on with good old Peter and his friends, especially Peter, the fisherman. Peter and his brother, Andrew, worked in the family business, and they learned the ways of the sea. They knew how to interact with the fish. They were skilled in using boats and nets. They were faithful fishermen. And in the midst of throwing nets and catching fish, Jesus calls Peter and Andrew to throw their nets and reach wider to fish not for tilapia galilea, but for men, women, and children. According to legend, the fish Peter caught was a kind of tilapia known as St. Peter's fish. You might be interested to know that the shores of the Galilee are dotted with restaurants offering St. Peter's fish, a menu novelty, usually to tourists hitting the area's Christian sites. Well, Peter had a wonderful career and yet left the family business to follow Jesus, 
who granted Peter a new name, the rock, the rock on which Jesus built the church. And it is to the faithful disciple that Jesus granted the keys of the kingdom. Now, in our passage, Peter is full of courage. He's passionate about the cause of building the kingdom of God. But remember, Peter struggled with fear and cowardice. Flashback to Peter stepping out of the boat in the storm to walk toward Jesus on the water. It was even his own idea. But he became fearful and began to sink. And another time at the transfiguration, Peter was exceedingly afraid, according to Mark, and blurted out silly things about hospitality rather than listening to what God was saying. We know that Peter was weak and fearful at times. In all four Gospels, following the arrest of Jesus, Peter denied knowing him three times. But after the third denial, he heard the rooster crow and recalled the prediction as Jesus turned to look at him. Then Peter began to cry bitterly. So yes, the fishermen had some weaknesses, but Jesus knew Peter's heart and called him anyway. Here in Acts, Peter emerges as a leader and does not waver in his faith. Despite the ranting and raving by the authorities, Peter and the apostles refuse to stop preaching, causing the authorities to arrest them again. We find the first arrest in Acts 4. But in the second arrest, all of the apostles are arrested not just Peter and John. Here, the leadership, or the Sanhedrin, the high council of Jerusalem, reminds the apostles that they were prohibited from preaching in this name. This charge was very, very serious, and the high priest couldn't even bring himself to say the name of Jesus. Peter's response on behalf of the apostles is simple and short. They are obeying God. The verb for obey here suggests a moral necessity for this obedience. And the apostles did what was right and displayed great courage. However, ignoring the Sanhedrin's orders and following God's command meant risking their very lives. And yet, they obeyed. They went. They continued to share the gospel. They didn't ask if it was safe or if they could think about it first. Their ruling principle was this. What does God want me to do? Peter and the apostles knew their function. They were witnesses for Christ. Witnesses are essentially people who speak from first-hand knowledge. The apostles knew Jesus from personal experience. They had a relationship with him. They knew the truth. Nonetheless, Peter was in a pickle again. Now, let's put ourselves in Peter's shoes. 
There are things we do in life because we want to, or because we like doing those things. But there are other things we do because we have to. We have choices, and we have things we must do. For Peter, preaching the gospel was a must-do. It was his vocation. The word vocation comes from the Latin word vocare, which means to call. God calls or invites you to a particular vocation. In his book, Let Your Life Speak, American theologian and author Parker Palmer wrote that vocation is something I can't not do for reasons I'm unable to explain to anyone else and don't fully understand myself, but that they are nonetheless compelling." End quote. Peter's can't not was preaching the gospel, but there were costs. Many times, we can obey human authorities and God at the same time, and there's no conflict. When we pay our bills, for example, we are obeying human laws and the moral laws of God. When we obey orders from our superiors at work, hopefully we can obey without violating any divine order. But the problem comes when humans tell us one thing, and God wants us to do something different. Therein lies the tension. That's what happened to Peter. The leadership said, keep quiet. And God said, preach it. And as we know, Peter obeyed God regardless of the consequences. Many of you know that I have served as a hospital chaplain, and though I ministered with patients, the staff was also part of my flock, if you will. I remember a time in particular when one of our hospitalists was struggling to make a big decision. He was a beloved doctor. The patients loved him because his bedside manner was personal and comforting. He was sought after because of his expertise in internal medicine, combined with very high scores in the patient experience. Yes, patients are surveyed about their patient experience, including their care, safety, comfort, discharge planning, and even the quality of the food. Hmm. Well, the good doctor was recruited for a partnership in a large practice which would take him away from the patients he loved. His salary would be doubled. His wife said, take it. About the same time, the good doctor was also offered an opportunity to develop and direct a rural clinic, which would serve a population with limited resources. He felt like God was leading him to the clinic, but he knew his wife was not about it. Though he was loyal to his wife and God, he couldn't obey them both. Furthermore, there were many complicating factors, as you might guess. Family matters, mortgage payments, his wife's career, proximity to an aging parent, you know, 
the things of life. At first glance, the good doctor's situation seems unique. But in reality, each of us is faced with similar tensions in our own lives. Have you experienced that kind of tension recently? When, not if, you find yourself in conflict, what or whom do you rely upon? Though these decisions may be complicated, faithfulness requires discernment, wisdom, and risk. But the real question is, how are we using our gifts and talents for the building of the kingdom of God? What is God calling you to do and be in this world for the sake of Jesus? And how are you and I witnessing for the Lord? In our passage, we find Peter and the apostles living out their vocations and yet are still experiencing tension. The apostles were filled with energy and passion despite the possibility of incarceration or even death. Friends, the struggle is real. We probably won't face persecution like Peter did when we step out in faith, but the tension still exists in our lives. We must be honest with ourselves and with God and to have crucial conversations with those in our circles. Is God preparing you to be an ambassador for Christ? How is God calling you and me, both individually and as a church, to step out in faith, to be an incarnational presence of Jesus? Sitting in church or live streaming on a Sunday morning, the answers might be obvious. But the reality is that discerning God's will for you and for me is difficult. Maybe the good doctor would do more good for the kingdom of God by taking the high-paying job. Who knows? The good news is that God does know. And God knows our hearts. And the Spirit guides us, leads us, and comforts us on the journey, even in times of trouble. Paul reminds us that all things work together for good for those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. And God knew Peter's heart, even though the fisherman turned apostle didn't always get it right. But Peter was a faithful witness in the end. He experienced the resurrection. He knew Jesus firsthand. Peter and the apostles were witnesses for the Lord. They were ordinary people like you and me who had successes and defeats, celebrations and tragedies. They too experienced tension. Yet they shared a common vision and served the Lord our God. In our text for today, Luke reminds us that we are witnesses. Those of us who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, 
those who have a relationship with the Lord. We are witnesses. In our text, Peter and the apostles declared that God exalted Jesus at his right hand as leader and savior, that he might give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Friends, how are we witnessing for the Lord? An unknown writer of an African-American spiritual wrote, Who will be a witness for my Lord? Valuable not only for their grand musical expression, the African-American spirituals provide profound insights into the human condition and Christian life. The Reverend Dr. Luke Powery, Dean of Duke University Chapel and professor at Duke Divinity School, explains that many spirituals focus on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the ways in which those events bring about the liberation of God's people, end quote. The words, the melody, and the modality or mood of the spirituals put forth the concept the writer is trying to express. One can feel the tension, and at the same time, we are encouraged to witness like our ancestors did. Who will be a witness for my Lord? The question begs our response. We have to live it. We have to act it out. That's why the slave sang the song. So, who will be a witness? Who will be a witness for my Lord? Who will be a witness for my Lord? I'm singing who will be a witness for my Lord. My soul will be a witness for my Lord. Let's pray. Oh Lord our God, we thank you for including us in your story. For it is through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that we find hope and abundant life. Lord, we are Easter people, so give us the grace and courage to be ambassadors for Christ in and around Fort Lauderdale and beyond. Help us to be faithful witnesses in your name, and may we give you all the glory. Amen.